thought you guys had a plan. Strategy. It was like, be on my podcast. Yes, I will be on your podcast. Assuming podcast strategy. Podcast strategy. Yeah, that's weird. No. Like content marketing. Yeah. Okay. Mike, what's your position on content marketing? I don't care. You don't care at all. I, I honestly do. You do a great job of content marketing. I know, it, but you know, it just comes natural to me. Like so many things, I don't have to think about it. Erica, you wouldn't respond to my text because you were too busy tweeting about real life locations that would make badass supervillain liars. I see. We can talk about that. That's a good topic. Hi, and welcome to this episode of The Voice of Design. I'm Erica Hall. And I'm also here. Uh, This is Mike Montero. And we're coming to you from our secret underground lair in North Beach in beautiful San Francisco. Are we going to talk about underground lairs today? And we have a very special guest with us. I thought Halverson was on. Calling in. From the lovely state of Minnesota, Christina Halverson. Hello, and welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you for welcoming to the program, Erica. Not Mike. Oh, my God. It's going to be really Seriously, short. ask what? me on the program. Be nice to me. Oh, for my God. Long I... time. Okay. So Being nice is a very important Are you th- Minnesota value, so we should honor that. Do you have No, a- I did not come on. I did not come on the podcast to be your token Midwestern. Do you need a glass of water, Christina? I don't. Because you seem thirsty. I don't. Well, you know, I'm not thirsty. It's like 1.15 Fargo time so on a thirsty. Friday. Yeah. So thirsty. Oh, yeah, man. I know. Yeah. So Christina had me on the inaugural episode of her podcast last year, the content strategy podcast. And we've oh, been what, meeting what's, what's to the return name of this favor. Pod? Is it called the content strategy podcast? It is. We really, we, we really um, labored over the name and decided we would just go straightforward, simple. That was our content strategy. Well, that, you know, sometimes straightforward and simple is the best. Where can people find this podcast, Christina? We want to make sure that our listeners can find it as well. Everywhere and anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, our our little online home is contentstrategy.com. Contentstrategy.com. That was available? It was available a long time ago before nobody, before anybody was talking about content strategy. Oh, so you got it back then. Snapped it up. Way to go. Yeah. Good now move. Now it's worth at least $800. No, I don't know how much it's worth. Yeah. Christina owns that space. So she she invited me on, onto her podcast and we've been meaning to invite Christina onto our podcast. I'm so excited that we finally did that and that we have Visiting an opportunity to etiquette. talk with her. Yeah. I too am excited to have the opportunity to speak with me. What are we going to talk about? We've known Christina for a long, long time. Yeah, long, we we just realized we had our uh, our tenth anniversary of our friendship. Oh, yeah, we were brought together by Peter Merholtz, who called and we us. We were crowned, and that day we were crowned the queens of content. The queens of content. So that was an issue, but everything else was fine. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, yeah. So cool. we have. It was kind of mutually horrifying, and yet it brought us together at the same time. It did, and I will say what I remember about that is that. I decided I would go out to San Francisco and have a conversation with Peter Merholtz about content strategy. And suddenly I wasn't just having a conversation with Peter Merholtz. I was having a conversation with like everybody in uh, San Francisco that Adaptive Path decided to open up the conversation to. And then I realized I had a half hour presentation 
alongside of Erica Hall. And so I got up there in my with my, I will say, Microsoft PowerPoint presentation Ooh. with animations Ooh. and audio effects and gave a sassy little talk about content strategy and then sat down and proceeded to be just blown out of the water by one of the smartest people I'd ever heard speak in my life. And then I felt like an idiot, but then we became friends. Is it because you felt sorry for me? Because I was from Minnesota. Ah, and, you're, you're too and sweet. And we're off. Yeah. <laughs> so thirsty. Oh my gosh. So thirsty. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and then that was a really important, that was an important yeah. point in my it was career. A moment. It was friendship. a real moment. Yeah. And then this year, this year I had the honor of speaking at Christina's conference, Confab. Confab. I've Confab. heard good, I've heard good things about Confab. Did you? Yes. Hey. I've, I, I know many people who swear by that conference. Yeah. That's great. They, yeah. No, we are very, it. very proud of how that conference has evolved over the last 21 events. Wow. You've had 21 of them? We had 21 events. This is our this is our eighth year in mm -hmm. doing kind of our big central one here in Minneapolis. But we've hosted other events all over the country. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. We're real proud. Yeah. That's hard to do. It is. I have I have a small but mighty team who produces these conferences and they I was actually having a longer conversation about event production, what a pain in the ass it is. And, you know, I think people turn themselves inside out, figuring out programming and fancy speakers and topics, and then just completely neglect the attendee experience. Uh, and that is really something that, that my team has really put their hearts and souls into. So it's a mm -hmm. special, it's a special event. So what makes the attendee experience so special at Confab? an excellent question, Mike. Well, I just thought I'd lob it in for you. <laughs> you know, it, it's little things, isn't it? I mean, I've spoken at a gajillion conferences, as have you. And so you can kind of collect best practices along with things not to do. And I mean, like, you know what the important stuff is. Make sure that the Wi-Fi doesn't go down. Make sure the food is decent. Make sure you don't run out of coffee. Make sure that there's a place for people to refill their water bottles. Make sure the place isn't crawling with jerks. It, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's probably where Confab has it uh, over a lot of other conferences. That is probably true. Yeah, by and large, strategists are a friendly bunch. It's, it, why do you think that is? I think we actually were just recently talking about this too. And, you know, I think it's because much like many UX designers, I think content strategists want to help people find better content that's actually going to like help them and make them feel good and satisfy their needs and... God, it kind of sounds like I'm talking about porn all of a sudden, doesn't it? I, I was rolling with it. Yeah, I know. Porn, uh, porn is content. Yeah, yeah it counts. And it's it's content that's uh, really, you know, fostered a lot of technological innovation. So yeah. It does. We actually were approached by an organization in Australia asking us if we would be open to doing work in the adult industry. Oh, down yeah. under, down under. <laughs> yeah. And that one I lobbed right to you. Yep. Did you do it? We did not, but it wasn't because, I mean, we actually, I was like, yeah, yeah, let's have a conversation with them. Why not? And just didn't, wasn't a good fit. So let me ask you a question. You, you've got a company and the company's called Brain Traffic, right? Correct. So when an inquiry like that comes in to Brain Traffic, do you all sit around discussing whether to take it or not as a team or do you make the call or a combination of both? How does that work? Is it, and do you mean like, any lead or a lead where it's just makes you pause and go, hmm, 
this the kind of work that we want to do? Well, not any lead. I'm assuming that, you know, the trash leads don't make it to the table. No, it's true. Or yeah. there are some leads that come in and I'm just like, hell yes, this is exactly the work that we do. Mm-hmm. And this is a cool company. And yeah. this person is articulate and describing their, their problem or their challenge. And talk to this person. let's take that example then. So you get a lead and for mm. you, for you, it's a hell yes. Sure. Do you then take it to the rest of the team and, and, and say, Hey, does everybody feel hell yes about this? Like I do. I do. Yeah. And that has especially been true. I'd say over the last 18 months as uh, you know, I don't know, you guys haven't, I don't know if you've been paying closer attention to this, but the, the industry of content strategy is becoming far more specialized in that there are people who are suddenly super focused on content strategy and writing for products. There are people who are super focused on helping to stand up like content strategy as a practice within their organizations. There are still people who are like, what the hell am I doing with this website and who can help me? And so in that sense, the nature of our leads, our inbound leads has shifted in that we're getting a lot of different kinds of leads versus just our website content is a mess. Can you help us? And so that has been an ongoing conversation within the team. Like, is this the kind of work that we want to focus on? Is this the kind of project that we want to do? And I mean, you know this, you, you owned a design firm. Own, you know, own. Own. I, yeah, oh own a design God. firm. Wow. Christina God came damn. on our podcast and killed our company. Wow. <sighs> Throw some shade wow. there. I mean, Jesus Christ. You all have been very, wow. very intentionally specializing in some very smart Sent areas. <laughs> I I thought that dis, I thought that Mule had evolved more into like a consultancy. Yeah, but it's still there. Yeah, a design consultancy. I mean, yeah, we still consult on design. Yeah, the doors are open. Yeah, we will cash. Right. We will cash <laughs> checks. <laughs> or take wires. That, that exactly yeah. is the point that I was leading to, yeah. which is that sometimes a project comes in and we're just like, oh, do you have money? We would really yeah. love. We will absolutely take that money. And sure. it just kind of depends on time of year, where the mm-hmm. industry's at, right. whether yeah. or not I've been, you know, frittering yeah. away cash. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is this is a, an interesting topic because anybody in a services business faces this. And especially now that a couple of things have happened, right? All those of us who work with, um, you know, connected digital interactive systems, right, who've been doing it for a while, have seen like, wow, the capabilities and reaches and complexity of these systems has really increased. And uh, so the ramifications have um, become more serious. Certain things have come to light. And so the idea of as as an agency, as a consultancy, who, like the people you work with, it's not just like you're going to create a brochure. It's like you could help create something that could be part of some business or government process that you really don't support. And so this is a really, I think, important conversation. How do you pick which clients to take on more so than ever? Well, we've had this conversation. I think that a lot of it has to do with, well, a couple of things. I mean, the kinds of problems you're wanting to solve as individuals and teams, or the kinds of opportunities you want to help clients take advantage of. But a lot of that, I mean, at least in, in content strategy, a lot of that has to do with sort of doing our best to assess where, organi- I guess this is true of design too, where organizations are kind of from an, an operations maturity stage mm-hmm. and also, frankly, whether or not leadership kind of gets it, right? I mean, oh, I, will yeah. Say, yeah. I will say 10 years ago when people were like, content strategy, isn't that just copywriting? I mean, there were still plenty of people who asked that. But 
you know, we were, we were having to go in and sit down with our potential clients who were largely practitioners or managers and help them build business cases to sell in content strategy. And that was, that was hard work and it was expensive work for us and it really sucked. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we were finally able to say, okay, if, if somebody shows up and it's at the, it's a practitioner or a manager and they're like, I really need help selling this into leadership. We're not going to, we're not going to take that on because we don't have time. We don't have interest and we have way too many organizations interested in working with us who already get it. Yeah. And, and there's a, a book, you know, they can, they can read. I actually saw somebody on Twitter the other day ask like, who can point me to materials to like make the case for why we should do content strategy? Like everything's about how, and I'm like, really? Yep. I'm like, are we really still at the why place? <laughs> well, this is, and it's insane because it's such like, it's, it's such a duh topic to so many people, but you know, I recently did some work with, um, high power business consultant, David C. Baker, and he works largely with large marketing firms. Right. Mm -hmm. And he was just straightforward. He was just like, nobody cares. Nobody yeah. cares what you think content strategy is. They all think it's content marketing strategy, and they're just going to call it content strategy. And, you know, they are looking for kind of how to frame up their content plan mm -hmm. for publishing and promotion. That's what they're calling content strategy. And, we help that when people come back and they're like, oh, we did this thing and it's having massive unforeseen implications on, you know, our UX team or on our IA, you know, within our site or, you know, dealing with redundant content across 80 million social media channels. And, oh my God, now we're in so much trouble. So then that becomes sort of the larger problem that we're interested in entangling and solving. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I haven't totally thought like, I don't think we've talked about this part of it too much because, you know, we, we talk about this stuff sort of constantly that, you know, a lot of the consulting projects I'm working on now have to have to do around research and evidence-based decision-making, blah, 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 all that. And the same thing is actually true about research versus market research. And, and I've had some conversations with people who are like, you're never like when I, I talk about getting people to make more evidence-based decision-making and I said, well, I, I want to help businesses change how they do that. And the person I was talking to said, well, you're up against the entire marketing organization because so many business decisions, when they say, oh, we're going to base this on data, they're basing it on market research, which is in many cases, like not all hot garbage. Yep. And tell me why you think it's hot garbage. Why so much market research is hot garbage? Because speak to the choir. Speak to the choir. <laughs> yes, because it's designed to support a decision or a strategy that's already a fait accompli, right? And this is why, like, I have a friend who runs focus groups, and so much of her work is, you know, running focus groups to get quotes for the CEO to deliver at the annual shareholders meeting. It's not yep. for learning, or they run surveys. Or they do NPS to like tick a box and have a metric. And what I'm interested in is helping organizations who are involved in the creation and deployment of complex systems learn and learn how to learn and learn how to learn continuously. And so many of these techniques are actually designed to short circuit learning and stop learning and just help people get an answer that's reasonably comforting and say, oh, we did our due diligence. Mm. We have an answer as opposed to actually learning. And because so many organizations treat design research and 
marketing research as two totally different things. And the the marketing side often has more power and resources. And it's just a, it's a much more mature practice, even though in many cases it's not, I would say a, a more reality-based practice. Mm. It's hard to bring those two things together because the people who are involved in, uh, you know, the bad market surveys and the bad focus groups and all of the other practices that aren't really, you know, research practices, I would call them in many cases, but not all are defensive of their territory. Oh, sure. And, you know, I think that a big thing that we come back to in content strategy too, is not only just, would you please just buy Erica's book, uh, but also really helping people to understand the kinds of questions that you're going to ask will depend on the thing you're making decisions about, right? Like I'll come back to the website. People, people want to ask, well, let's just talk to marketing because they know what people want. Like they know, they know, you know, they have their personas around like personality and kind of the, the preferred content formats that we need to be thinking about and the topics that they're interested in. And that's, we have to keep coming around and saying the website is something people want to use. Like, I don't give a shit what they're interested in. We need to understand what they're showing up to do. Yeah. And that even just that, you know, helping them see through that different lens is once they see it, they're like, oh, but it's super difficult to maintain that focus when you have so many people who are still interested, but it's content. We just need to know what they're interested in. We just need to know what kind of stuff they want to read about so that we can engage them. Right. Because that is, that's what we're constantly getting, getting hammered with. Yeah. And so I'd say that that's one key qualifier for a client. And I've, I've had interactions with both of those. Like I've, I've had, I've, I've worked with some really, really good people and like smart kind of like marketing organizations partnering with design who really want to learn. And then I've had a couple of uh, uh, organizations I've talked to where either like in one case, like the pitch meeting just went off the rails so hard. It was epic. It was like my worst uh, conversation ever because they were so not interested in anything I was talking about. It was amazing. Have you ever been in a room with like 20 pairs of like dead eyes just staring at you with the CEO in the room? Oh, good times. (laughs) And, uh, I remember that meeting. Yeah. Not there. Yeah. But I, I, I'm sure I support, told but. you about it afterwards. I was like, oh, that was a, that was you a just described every classroom in the world. <laughs> yeah, right. But like looking out and seeing the dead eyes yeah. staring back and they're not at all interested. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I taught them anything that day. And then, you know, then I've talked to other people who, who do want to learn, but have this insane engineering driven, like we don't have time to think kind of approach. And that was unfortunate because it's like, it's like what you said, if they're ready, then they understand what takes time, what is worth the investment and what things can be done more efficiently, et cetera. So that, I think that's one part of it is, are they really, do they really want to do the work to mm-hmm. get the thing they want? And yeah, and you can tell that pretty quickly. And those, those can be hard interactions to have because you think like, as you said, you're like, is it worth my time to teach you? And you get to a certain point where you, if you've done this as long as we have, you're like, oh, wait, you are actually unteachable. And that might sound kind of cold, but it's like, no, there's only, we only have so many hours in a day. And so that's one side of it. And then there's the people who might be like super smart and engaged, but the thing that they want you to help them accomplish is actually uh, not a good thing. Mm -hmm. Mike, what do you, when you're talking to a potential client, what, what are your, I mean, I think that we can all kind of name like a gajillion red flags, but what are the things that they say 
or or that they want where you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be a good fit. I don't know. Great. Back to you, Erica. <clears throat> no, I mean, that's my answer. You don't know? No, well, they when, don't know. When they say, when they tell me they don't know something. Oh, when they're willing to, when, when they're, because they're willing to learn. Exactly. Oh. I, mean, I mean, some we've had, I mean, we've, we've worked with people who, you know, they're afraid to admit that they don't know something and, you know, they have to act like, you know, big alpha male. I know everything. You know, the only reason I'm hiring you is because I don't have time to do this myself. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that type of bullshit. They're awful to work with. They end mm -hmm. up wasting everybody's time, including their own. Yeah. And often we have seen this where there's been some terrible reveal uh, a certain amount of time into the working relationship when you actually find out that they didn't know they've been fronting the whole time and yeah. then they start uh, freaking out because yeah. they realize that like, oh, wait a second, what's going on? I said I knew what was going on. I actually don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I'm so what 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 I look for is I want I need to know that I I'm working with somebody who's willing to admit that you know there there's a limit to the things that they know and they don't know because I have one and uh, that they're okay with that and they're willing to talk to people whose expertise is different than theirs because that means that they're going to respect somebody who knows something that they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's that trust. Like I've had so many conversations with so many people in design related fields and any, any service, like you, you could probably talk to any lawyer or consultant or anything. And if you don't have trust with somebody, if somebody doesn't have trust in your expertise, that's just, that's going to be a horrific, horrific time together because you're going to be in a position of continuing to have to try to re-earn that trust. Yeah. You know, what I find makes for a really good project too, or good, I'll say good fit or collaboration or whatever, is when there is a little bit of humility that exists on both sides. Right? Oh, absolutely. Where yes. the client is just like, yeah, this, and this is what's interesting. I'm just talk about content marketing for just a minute. This is what's interesting about content marketing for me about that industry right now is that there has been so much bluster and so many promises about what it's going to do. And if you just buy the software, if you just use this template, or if you just hire this advisor, you're going to, you know, be rolling in money and engagement and all this crap. And what, what I'm seeing happen is that the, the leaders, the marketing leaders who are like, yes, this is the key to the kingdom and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to tell everybody that I know what I'm doing that they're slowly going, Oh my God, this is really complicated because it turns out not all content is marketing content and that it actually lives within that ecosystem where it's all connected together. And it turns out that I need to talk to people like, I don't know, the UX team or the people who are structuring the content on the back end. And it is those leaders who are willing to kind of step up and go, yeah, I'm in over my head. And I, and I need help because this is hard that, that we're doing really good work with. But what I have learned as somebody who has been stomping her feet about content marketing and whining and crying and pouting for 10 years going, you're making it too easy. And this is really complicated. and It's super complex is that I've got to go in with a sense of humility and just be like, yeah, I don't know the journey that you have been on. I don't know how much money you have spent on this. I don't know how much trouble you're in or how many people have, have been fired or whatever. So, you know, I, I'm going to come to you with kind of my insights and my tools, but I'm not going to walk through the door like with, with my savior complex. 
Do you know what I mean? Yep. And that I see that a lot with designers and design consultants and marketing consultants where they come in and they're just like, I am here and you're doing everything wrong. And here are all the things that I'm going to do to save you without shutting up and listening. Yep. Yeah. The, the listening is, uh, is, is really important. It's a, it's such a funny thing because I've worked on a lot of things that are probably somebody would call a content marketing project, but that's uh, because I think it's just been one piece and our approach has always been so holistic. Mm-hmm. That's never really been a question. It's like, well, yeah, you're going to write things and the things you write are going to attract attention and perhaps like link to some business point of conversion you want people mm-hmm. to get involved in. But we've never used those words or that phrase because that's like carving out, as you said, it's a, a whole complex system and that's carving out one weird part of it in isolation in the same way that you can't like carve out SEO because, you know, good SEO is like make good differentiated things that serve a real need in the world. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but really, I mean, maybe, maybe what it comes down to is that content strategy is not a thing. That's very provocative of you to say so. <laughs> I, I could state my case for it. Oh, I could too. I could too. I believe me, you know, for a couple of, for several years, actually, one of my um, employees put on my calendar on July 1st as a recurring appointment, Christina's professional identity crisis, because it was right around there every year that I would just be like, my God, what if content strategy is not a thing? What if it's not a thing? And frankly, I find it helpful to talk about it as a framework for helping people to see that your marketing, your content marketing program is if you treat it as like this sort of standalone effort without acknowledging uh, its place in your larger digital content ecosystem, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble internally. You're going to have trouble with external brand perception. You're going to have trouble. You're going to accumulate content debt out there in your social media channels and in search engines and whatever else. And to talk about that in terms of like, so we need to think about content, all the content from a strategic standpoint, like that to me has almost been more of a branding exercise around helping people acknowledge and recognize the complexity of content over the last several years. And like whether or not content strategy is like a very specific role or a very specific practice that has to be very specifically carved out from UX design and marketing and technical communications that I don't really care. I don't really care too much. Yeah, it's a useful fiction like free will. It- <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, free will doesn't exist, but without contemplating free will, our entire legal system couldn't exist. So, is this turning into a different podcast? Not one I'm participating in. <laughs> Mike, do you think content strategy exists? Do you have you cast checks for it? I do. Then it exists. Ah, I win the argument, Erica. Does design thinking exist? Because some idiot's cashing checks for him somewhere and, and nobody can explain to me what the hell it is. Did you call IDEO? Yeah, they don't know what it is either, but they've cashed checks for it. Therefore, it's real. They just wrote up a little thing on their website about what it is. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, did they do some content marketing about design thinking? That's fair. They do, as a matter of fact. God, world's colliding. Did we stop talking or did I just lose you? <laughs> Great radio. Great radio, everybody. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Wait a minute. What does it matter if it's real? I yeah, Okay, so here's, I have to admit, 
I went to the bathroom when this conversation started. That has nothing to do with the quality of the conversation, just my own biological needs. I don't, I have, I, that is a first for so me I, in any pod. I've done a lot of podcast interviews. No, I've done a lot of podcast interviews. That is a first. Having biological needs. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for taking care of your needs. No one in Minneapolis pees. I'm old. When, you know, when, when my body actually works, I take advantage of it. She's rolling. Why are you rolling your eyes? I'm in Minnesota. No, I can't (laughs) see you. I haven't installed cameras in your office. Uh, What? Oh God. Cause you've been saying you're old the entire time I've known you and we're basically the same age. So I'm, I'm really curious why you're so much older than I am. I'm I'm not. And so is your issue here with with me acknowledging my age or my acknowledgement of my age reminding you of yours? No, no. It's the glee with which you say I'm old. I love it. Yeah. It's, see, so fr- uh, yeah. it's refreshing. It's freeing. <laughs> I'm 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 at the point where I can I can just stand in my front yard and yell at people. And cash checks for it. It's amazing. Are you? Did you have to turn a certain age to stand in your front yard and yell at people? Because I've known you for 10 years and that's all. You've always been standing in your front yard yelling at people. That's fair, but it fits better now. Yeah, the world is your is your front yard. So you were well, saying, you were saying you, you took a break uh, to micturate there. And uh, I did not. I do not do that at the <laughs> office. And you came back. Yeah. And uh, and you two were arguing about whether content strategy was real or not. And Christina's having uh, an existential crisis and you're egging it. I don't, I'm not having an existential crisis anymore. That was, I took that, I took that off my calendar. That's, I took that, that appointment off. That was the exact right tone of voice to use to dissuade me of that. Erica, what do you have to say for yourself? <clears throat> for me? Oh my God. What? Wow. Wow. Mom voice <laughs> 3000 just woke up. <laughs> No, Eric, Mike, I always take, I always take sides with Erica. I know you do. Yeah. I know. That's just, that's just what it's like go, going into this. No. So what, what were you, what were you going to say? Like you left, you came back, you had a thing to say. And and all, and all of a sudden you were talking about whether design strategy was real or not. And I don't know how this got started is what I was going to say. Where did this all come from? And our listeners know where it came from because they didn't, I assume, well, they're probably, they probably, they probably, they're probably peeing right now, but they're, you know. I, look, I'm on the podcast and I forgot. To pee? What we were, what we were talking about. Oh. Oh, uh, yeah. So we were talking about like whether content strategy exists or if it's a useful fiction because the, the issue is that, but it, I mean, it probably is like design or any facet of design where you do have to say, well, what are you talking about when you use the words? Because the issue with content is it's a, it's a very generic term and it could really mean anything. Right. <clears throat> it means filler. And um, we're at a point where, you know, things don't really necessarily have containers because it used to be you'd have content to fill in graphic design and you'd lorm ipsum. Yeah. But now thinking about the container before you think about the message. Stupid. Doesn't really make any sense. Right. So you should start with the meaning. And I think the problem that uh, I don't know if if you're running into this now, Christina, because it used to be like, oh, isn't content strategy just copywriting? And another issue, though, is you get a content strategist and you say, what do you mean you don't write copy? 
Here, let me give my idiot's view of this, and then you tell me how I'm wrong, and then everybody will learn something. To me, content is the stuff that I came for, whether that's an article or a, a, a video or a, a combination of both or a process that uh, I showed up for or the stuff in the database that I, I'm collecting, uh, like, you know, on, the, on a site where I keep track of uh, all the records I have. That's the content. I, that's, how I, that's how I talk about it. Con- that content is the stuff that people go looking for. It's the stuff that they care about. I mean, that's, that, that's it. And right. Mm. Right. And everything else, everything else, including the stuff that, that I mostly done in mm-hmm. my career is useful only as far as, as getting you to that stuff as quickly mm-hmm. as possible and making sure that that stuff's as, as inviting as possible. So interestingly, that is at least where content strategy as a practice started, which is you know, I, I think that it was sort of this bringing together IA principles around structuring and organizing content so that people can find what they're looking for and UX principles, which is ensuring that, that people can get done whatever it is that they came to do on, on, and it this isn't a website, right? Specifically in the, in the mid two thousands, uh, the content strategy was, and, and that editorial was saying, Hey, we have this information that we need to convey to people that there was just such a tremendous disconnect between those three parts of the conversation that the content strategist is like, yo, you know, this, the editorial component of it, like you can make a really beautiful page structure wireframe, but if the substance of that content sucks then all that other work that you did is just wasted because nobody cares. Nobody cares. And so really like helping those kind of those roles connect with each other to understand how their decisions were interdependent and how when you made a decision in IA that that had an impact on the substance of the content. And when you made a decision about how, you know, a user journey or where you were going to try to communicate what that had an impact on the content. Like this just wasn't, and I think it's because the web started out as like, Oh my God, it's pictures online. We need to get the designer and we need to get the the technical person and you guys go make some. So that's your argument for content strategy I, being what, real. <laughs> what I would suggest is that that's where that role started, that, that, that role of connecting the dots. Okay. I think, and I think that that role has kind of expanded and has, I'll use the word splintered, but not in a bad way. Like there's been a lot of specialization that has happened that 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 person who's connecting the dots is now like hey well can you come over here and talk to the people who are structuring the content can you come over here and talk about the people who are worried about making sure that the content and the brand and the voice and the information is consistent across a bunch of different channels so that that role again it's like a branding exercise right coming at content from a strategic standpoint where you're actually doing some analysis and some synthesis and, and making choices that are informed by things like good user research, business goals, uh, you know, past performance, whatever, versus just, ah, let's just rewrite the homepage, put it up and see how we do. Yeah. So the, I would say my point of departure from this is that now that we're past websites to things that look like websites, but are actually, you know, services, applications, blah, blah, blah is that 
we need to move from thinking about things as content, which is like I've made some things that are useful things, to communication. Because communication, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about listening, right? Because if you think about, oh, I'm I'm working on my side of the message, right? And I'm making it good and I'm putting it out there. That sets aside the listening part of it, which is that it's it's more of a conversation, right? You're communicating. And the two things that are different from, I would say, let's call it traditional content strategy, are that you're never finished. Mm-hmm. It's not like you make things and, and you put them up there, right? Mm-hmm. And that the listening side of it, the response side of the um the sensing side of it is just as important as the message you're putting out there. What do you mean the sensing side of it? So it's the difference between uh, publishing and having a conversation, right? When you publish something, you make whatever your content is, Mm -hmm. whatever you're putting out there, you make it and you, you distribute it out in the world. Yeah. And then you go off and you distribute the next thing. Got it. As opposed to interactive systems, which are, should be constantly like putting a message out there, listening for the response and then possibly changing the message. And I think this is the place where a lot of organizations who got the content strategy discipline or whatever, who, who get that, they're like, but we're making a lot of stuff. And I think this goes to the content marketing thing where it's like, oh, we're just gonna make a lot of stuff, publish a lot of stuff. And they don't really think about it as continuous communication And once you start reframing it for people like that, they freak out because they're like, wait, that means I'm never done. And I can't just like make a document and post it and Mm -hmm. leave it and say we're finished. I mean, I've had in some of the really large scale, uh, say, web projects we've worked on in the past few years, talk to some people who were super freaked out when I like I told them, like, you're moving to, say, a a responsive system because this was a whole flavor of projects for a while. It's Mm -hmm. like a giant responsive redesign of their stuff. And they'd say, well, what about my migration? And I'm like, you can't migrate anything you have currently because it's unstructured and you just have to really start from scratch. And they would lose their freaking minds because they'd say, but we've made this investment. We have all this content. And I'm like... No, you have you have communication, right? It that you're trying to save that isn't communicating what you want to communicate at this moment in time. And they were treating it like they had a special precious library and I'm like this is the internet. So they 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 put a lot of value in in that stuff. Well, yeah, they they treated it like a set of assets, not like a moment in an ongoing conversation. So what I would suggest is that that is actually a tremendous focus of many content strategists. And they and it takes the place from an implementation standpoint as talking about you need to regularly audit the content that you have put out there because chances are 95% of the people that you put out there for don't care about it anymore or they never cared about it in the first place. You need to set up channels of continuous feedback and then Figure out ways internally that you're going to share those that feedback and insights, share that content performance so that you can make smarter decisions about your content moving mm-hmm. forward. And then there's also a lot of, I mean, a lot of clients that come to us are like, oh God, we need governance. Like they've really latched onto this word governance. We got to 
we need a governance framework for our content. And what they are talking about is exactly what you just described, which is that we need to, and even if they can't use these words or don't know to use these words, we need a shift in our culture with regard to how we think about the stuff that we produce so that it is no longer just producing, publishing, and forgetting about it. That it is treating the that content or that communication, words, video, whatever, as a living business asset that is going to require care over time. I think I'm beginning to understand this. So you just mentioned people caring about the stuff they produce. And Eric is talking about how we communicate with the people that we need to communicate with. Mm -hmm. So it's like conversation versus stuff. Yeah. Documentation. Noun versus verb. It is. It's now it's noun versus verb because, uh, there's there's a difference between a system that's serving up a set of documents and a system that's essentially acting as a proxy for another human being. And I think what's going on right now is a lot of these systems look kind of identical, but people are really unclear on the value that they're providing. And I think there's still a sense of like, oh my gosh, if we have more content, we're providing more value as opposed to, are you being as clear and meaningful and responsive, not in the responsive web design, but in the like really listening to people and changing your communication based on what you hear very quickly over time. And I think there are two different modes that are getting squished together and there's a lack of clarity about like where the value you're, provi you're providing resides. So, but I think that we're saying the same thing and it's only that I'm coming at it through an angle of implementation of operations and process and skills and roles and implementation, because what you're talking about is a, it's a cultural value. Mm -hmm. It is a way of seeing content as communication. And I, and I get that. And I truly believe that that is a base value that any content strategy is worth their salt holds. Mm -hmm. That this is not just stuff, that this mm -hmm. is information and stories or, mm -hmm. you know, help that we want to communicate to people. And then we want to make sure that it's what they need. But implementing those processes within organizations who are still like, we have two giant websites and we, should we combine them? Like, we probably need a new content management system. Do we, should we create a content team? Like, what are they going to do and where should they sit? Like, that's what we say on the front lines every day. Hmm. And so, and so, yes, it is important to instill those values, to create that vision, to help shift the way that people on the front lines in this organization, and also, frankly, all the subject matter experts, all the salespeople, all the, all the people who are like lobbing these requests for stuff over to the content people saying, can you create this? And of course, mm -hmm. put it on the homepage of the website, that that is a tremendous shift. And, and how to get from treating content as stuff to seeing content. And again, I will say that content, it is communication, but ultimately there's words and there's like technical debt in there that can be ac accumulated. There are mm. resources that need to be applied and invested in, in order to make it a real thing. There is process that has to be around it. So yeah, it's communication, but it's also stuff that we need to take care of. Mm. So where do you see the line between content strategy and interaction design? Uh, 
Well, you know what a lot of people would say right now is that the link between content strategy and interaction design is UX writing. UX writing has become like a thing over the last 48, mm-hmm. like like 24 months. Like all of a sudden, there are a gajillion people hiring for UX writers. And and UX writing has also been called product content strategy. Although some people call product content strategy is like making sure that all the content all across all the different product and different touch points and so on is all accounted for and planned for so that we can stick UX writers on it. You know, that is kind of an area of, of specialization where, yes, we now need to be taking care of content more than just, okay, we've got some Lormips in their developer. Can you please just write some stuff in there and we'll hope for the best. I don't know if, I, I think that that's an area of specialization that is just looking at and thinking about words specifically as, as like communication, frankly, and not just, we got to fill in the Lormips. Where do you think the connection is? I think uh, like the way I would like people to think about these things differently is to step back from assuming a website and really start thinking with like, what are we trying to accomplish here? And not going straight to like, oh, we're making a certain type of thing and start thinking being like device and mode independent first and saying like, oh, what sort of interaction are we trying to foster with this person? And then after that saying, okay, you know, is this a matter of like distributing, you know, pages of content or trying to do something live and in person, et cetera, et cetera, in in a lively manner? Yeah, for sure. And I think that once organizations reach a certain level of maturity, when it comes to thinking about content as communications, that is a conversation that they have for sure. Yeah. But again, the vast majority of organizations out there are still trying to figure out how to help people understand that the mm-hmm. homepage of the website is not their most important digital asset. Yeah. It, it's amazing that they, like, we've been doing this so long and it's like, there's still a lot of exciting work to be done around the fundamentals. Yep. And that is, that, that is something that, uh, I have a little bit settled into as a content strategist um, because I do like to see that moment of transformation. And now, and you know, much more so than ten years ago, five years ago, even three years ago, we've got leadership interested in, hey, geez, this content thing is more complicated than I thought it was. Sitting down, listening, having their minds blown, and being and saying, oh, we do need to start with understanding what our audiences actually want from us from a communication standpoint. And then we need to start making choices about, you know, from a foundational standpoint, where are we going to make investments? Is it in, you know, and it, it, they always want to invest in technology and we always say no. Uh, but that's really, I mean, that, that shift is really exciting to watch within organizations, but it is, I firmly believe that that is going to be a very slow, painful process for a lot of companies simply because they've been around for a long time and you know they still they still have 1 million brochures from 1999 sitting in the in the closet that nobody has bothered to take care of and get rid of and i want to be really respectful of those organizations right like i don't want to be like oh, pff, you can't figure this out why are you so dumb get with the times cuz it's hard yeah it's complicated <clears throat> are you arguing about the drapes am i arguing about what this question goes out to both of you so why does this matter? So uh, the drapes thing, 
it like when I take like looking out at, you know, the state of technology today, I see a dumpster fire or a house on fires. The dumpsters don't have drapes. <laughs> so I like, like I see, I see all of, I see the entire house on fire. And here's this argument about like which flavor of content strategy and, and it feels like an argument about a very, not, not to say unimportant, but a very specific thing over here in this part of the house. Is this the type of argument that's important right now? And I don't mean to be flippant with that question. Why does this matter? No, I think it's a great question. And, you know, for years I have said, eh, I don't really care what you call it. Just get the work done. Like, just make sure that people can find what they're looking for. And that once they find it, it's easy for them to understand and that they know what to do with it and the next step that they want to take. People who are in the same profession care about the details and, and the minutia. And I know that we can argue about the minutia for hours while the people who actually need us to be doing the, the shit that we need to be doing are out there going, could, could you please uh, stop with the inside baseball and focus on us for a bit? Is this inside baseball? Yeah, that is a, that is a great question. And I think that inside baseball conversation should not dominate your day to day because there is so much good work to be done. I do think it's worthwhile for this specific reason, I actually just wrote a post uh, called "What Does a Content Strategist Do?" Mm-hmm. Put it on LinkedIn, and people are most people are like, "Oh my god, thank you!" But of course, there are people that are just like, "Where do you get off? And why do we bother with this? And just get the work done." The reason I think it's important right now is that companies want to hire people to help them with their content, and they don't know what to call them, and they don't know what kinds of activities they need to be doing. They don't know how to group responsibilities within certain roles. And so even just talking through, because I think that there's two sides of this conversation. There's a value side and and how we see the end game for the work that we are doing, which Erica, I think is a lot of what you're talking about. But then there's also the, okay, how are we going to get that done, that work done, which is the terminology and the activities and the roles and how content teams exist within organizations and so on. And I do think that that is an important question to have because we have to help people understand how to implement. That's my two cents. I I do not want to get into fights about what content strategy is and what it is not. The only comment I made about that recently is that content strategy is not content marketing strategy because that implies that all content is marketing. But yeah, full circle. Erica, closing comments, please. Okay, closing comments. <laughs> I'm sick of this. Let's move on. Yeah, it's like content, yeah. content, content. I thought we were going to talk about like like uh, uh, villain villains lairs, super villain lairs. Yeah, super villain lairs. That's what you told me to get me to <laughs> into come this in room. here into this room. Yeah, is you promised that we were going to talk about super villain lairs. It wasn't enough that I was going to be on this, but I see how it is. Yeah. So. I, yeah, the, the closing statement is, is I think maybe also what you're getting at is the idea and and one of the potentially problematic uh, aspects of the term content is that it is value neutral, right? It's like yeah. stuff. Content just means stuff. And it's a question of, okay, if we're talking about uh, this profession, does the profession like have a point of view on the world? And so what I will say, and I, I think that that is a valid critique of the field 
because it doesn't have like design has kind of an implicit point of view baked in. Mm. And I, well, mm. that's another that's, podcast. That's a, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, and you'd say like, okay, well, they're content strategists. They're very good content strategists doing good content strategy at Facebook. Is that really good content strategy? Should we be talking about the profession there? What I will say is that what is good about getting people to think like that is the extent to which content strategists make people not only confront what they are actually trying to do in the world, who their audience right. is, okay. they also make people, and I think this is probably a huge part of Christina's work, make people confront the true level of effort. Because there's a lot of like, blah, blah, blah. Does like UX design and agile, do they work together? And weirdly, nobody I've ever, and maybe Christina, you can correct me. If, uh, I don't really hear people say, oh, does agile and work with content strategy? Because I think that's content strategy is like the secret minds where so much of everything comes down to doing the actual work. Because doing things well, doing things in a well-planned way, going through all these processes to make sure that you're doing the right thing for the right reasons and really serving your audience, that's that's where the work is. Like you can build a system much more quickly than you can populate it with all of the well-considered messages that you need to. And that's why it's important because it is often where the dream hits the reality and a good content strategist will force somebody to confront the ramifications of what they're doing in the world. Right. Yes. The question that's that's in the back of my head these days is, you know, Grandpa, what were you doing when the Internet destroyed democracy? Oh, well, we were all arguing what to call each other. And I want to make sure that, you know, we're not spending too much of our time there because there's I mean, there's a lot of that in the design yeah. field. It's I mean, yep. to the point where, you know, it's a circle jerk. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I have not really met the only people that I see getting really worked up about whether or not we call a content strategist, a content strategist or technical communicators who feel that they have been doing this work for 30 years. And it's stupid that we're appropriating their yeah. work and calling it something else. Otherwise I think that content strategists want to be differentiated from content marketing strategists or content marketing practitioners. But other than that, I don't see anybody, I don't see a lot of infighting at all around that's not what it is that's not what it yeah. is and again i think that i think that it is because for a large part at least what i have seen is that there is to erica to your point there is a lot of work being done for content strategists to lift each other's work up and that means that like this idea of you're in and you're out doesn't sit so well in terms of values yeah uh, within the larger community and i'd so. also say that goes back to why confab is, you know, possibly the best conference in America because there is that that value of lifting each other up. And I think this is one of the reasons why the, the, the you don't get the gross jerks at the conference mm -hmm. is because I think there are sort of like humane values in the practice and the profession for whatever reason uh, that help with that. Fantastic. So... Well, in there, because I think it really is. It's like, who cares what you call yourself? It's about what great work you're contributing to, you know? Yep, correct. And that is, and that is exactly what we want to point towards at Confab and elsewhere. Okay. With the five minutes that we have left, <laughs> Underground Lair, give it I to me. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Well, the, the issue is supervillain 
um, supervillain supply okay. chains. Supervillain supply chains. Yeah, because all you see all these supervillains, and they have all of these layers, right? And all of this stuff, and they have hench persons with special fancy outfits and devices. Right. Thank you for saying hench persons, by the way. It R- is the work. more inclusive term. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and where who manufactures that stuff? Like we were talking about. Uh, you know, the the, the work of uh, developing a content strategy and specifying a content system and populating that system, right? Oh, Palantir. Who, oh, pa- Palantir's in charge of. But oh, the, fuck yes. But the manufacturing, right? But there's also like, how, who who handles permitting for the the villain layers? And like, did you see the the, the thing in the mall in Stranger Things 3? Like, uh-huh. how how did they, like the contractors must know what's up. And Palantir. So, is there a special, so they run, is there like a special union for like contractors who run supervillain headquarters projects? Go look at whatever board Dick Cheney is serving on. Oh, wow. The, so it's like Halliburton. Yeah. It's a whatever Blackwater's calling themselves. Yeah. Like, oh, it's the, it's the paramilitary. They're yeah. also handling. Huh. They have no mm, issue with that. That's fair. That's fair. Christina, if you were a supervillain, uh, where would your lair be? Yeah. I don't know. There'd have to be a lot of thick concrete. Oh my God. There's only one answer for this, Christina. What is it? On the shores of Lake Minnetonka. I think that's already a supervillain lair. And I think they just hang out in the open. Yeah. You know, the Minnetonka monster lives there. (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this, uh, this fantastic adventure. This was a delight. Thanks for having me. The f- a fantastic voyage through Christina Halverson. And, and you know, me, the, the admiration is mutual. Thank you so much for having me. Were you talking to her or to me? Oh, thirsty. So thirsty. thirsty. So thirsty. <laughs> so thirsty. So, so thank you so much to our listeners. If you've made it this far, you can follow us on Twitter. VOD rocks. VOD underscore arc. O-C-K-S and uh, we'll uh, catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.